Chapter 9 of Aviation Instructor's Handbook. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Aviation Instructor's Handbook, FAA-H-8083-9A. Chapter 9. Risk Management. Introduction. Pull the throttle back. Lenore, a certificated flight instructor, CFI, ordered the student, Jennifer, as the revolutions per minute, RPM, climbed past 2,000 on engine startup. I did, I did. Both Jennifer and Lenore grabbed the mixture and pulled. The engine went from a deafening roar to silence. They looked at each other. What happened, asked Jennifer. I don't know. Let's check the engine, Lenore said. Ten minutes later, they had removed the cowling from the Cessna 152. A quick engine check gave them the answer. The throttle rod end was not connected to the carburetor arm. No bolt, no nut, just air between the rod end and the arm. Jennifer looked at Lenore. What if this happened in flight? What I want to know, Lenore said, is how this happened at all. The annual inspection was signed off yesterday. The previous day, the annual inspection had been signed off after a lengthy inspection by a local facility. Several mechanics had been involved in the inspection, including the owner-slash-student who had installed a headliner. The mechanic with the inspection authorization, IA, who signed off the annual, was supervising several annuals, so most of the maintenance was performed by other mechanics. After the inspection, the engine had been run up according to the usual post-inspection procedures. The student and instructor had flown the airplane for a half-hour familiarization flight. The next day's engine start resulted in a runaway engine, with the apparent cause due to the lack of the throttle rod-end hardware being safetyed. Three deficient areas in this annual inspection were identified by a roundtable discussion group of aircraft and power plant, A&P, mechanics, and the student. These areas were lack of responsibility, Checklist Misuse Complacency Lack of Responsibility No one took responsibility for the entire inspection. The chances of something being overlooked increase with an increase in the number of mechanics involved in an inspection. The responsible person is removed from the actual procedure. The student remembers hearing the IA ask one of the engine mechanics about the throttle. However, the question was vague, the answer was vague, and the rod end was not safetyed. Checklist Misuse All checklists have a line item regarding inspection of the engine controls for rigging and safety. Perhaps the throttle rod end had been disconnected for maintenance after the IA had signed off the control inspection. In that case, a discrepancy should have been entered onto the discrepancy sheet stating Reconnect and Safety Throttle Rod End. Complacency An insidious and hard-to-identify attitude. Each of the mechanics involved in the incident thought someone else had inspected the throttle rod end. The IA signed off the annual inspection because he had either asked the mechanics about the items on the checklist or, in his frequent visits to the airplane, had inspected the various items himself and decided that was good enough. Complacency crippled the mechanics' quality of work by removing any thoughts of double-checking each other's work. While a definite answer to the question of what happened remains a matter of speculation, professional mechanics should heed warning signs of potential problems. The combination of a lengthy inspection, 
numerous technicians, an overworked supervisor, a poor checklist, and vague communication should raise a red flag of caution. Although the ultimate responsibility for the safety of any flight rests with the pilot in command, PIC, it is not unreasonable for the PIC to assume that mechanics also take their responsibilities seriously. This scenario underscores the need for safety risk management at all levels of aviation. Safety risk management, a formal system of hazard identification and analysis, is essential for keeping risk at acceptable levels. Part of this process is selecting the appropriate controls to mitigate the risk of the identified hazard. The primary objective of risk management is accident prevention, which is achieved by proactively identifying, assessing, and eliminating or controlling safety-related hazards to acceptable levels. This chapter discusses safety risk management in the aviation community, looking at it as preemptive rather than reactive. The principles of risk management and the tools for teaching risk management in the flight training environment are addressed in Chapter 8, Techniques of Flight Instruction. Defining Risk Management Risk is defined as the probability and possible severity of accident or loss from exposure to various hazards, including injury to people and loss of resources. Figure 9-1 All Federal Aviation Administration, FAA, operations in the United States involve risk and require decisions that include risk assessment and risk management. Risk management, a formalized way of thinking about these topics, is the logical process of weighing the potential costs of risks against the possible benefits of allowing these risks to stand uncontrolled. Risk management is a decision-making process designed to identify hazards systematically, assess degree of risk, and determine the best course of action. Key terms are hazard, a present condition, event, object, or circumstance that could lead to or contribute to an unplanned or undesired event, such as an accident. It is a source of danger. For example, a nick in the propeller represents a hazard. Risk. The future impact of a hazard that is not controlled or eliminated. It is the possibility of loss or injury. The level of risk is measured by the number of people or resources affected, exposure, the extent of possible loss, severity, and the likelihood of loss, probability. Safety. Freedom from those conditions that can cause death, injury, occupational illness, or damage to or loss of equipment or property, or damage to the environment. Note that absolute safety is not possible because complete freedom from all hazardous conditions is not possible. Therefore, safety is a relative term that implies a level of risk that is both perceived and accepted. Figure 9-1, text. Types of risk. Total risk, the sum of identified and unidentified risks. Identified risk risk which has been determined through various analysis techniques. The first task of system safety is to identify, within practical limitations, all possible risks. Unidentified risk, risk not yet identified. Some unidentified risks are subsequently identified when a mishap occurs. Some risk is never known. Unacceptable risk, risk which cannot be tolerated by the managing activity. It is a subset of identified risk that must be eliminated or controlled.
Acceptable risk. Acceptable risk is the part of identified risk that is allowed to persist without further engineering or management action. Making this decision is a difficult yet necessary responsibility of the managing activity. This decision is made with full knowledge that it is the user who is exposed to the risk. Residual risk. Residual risk is the risk left over after system safety efforts have been fully employed. It is not necessarily the same as acceptable risk. Residual risk is the sum of acceptable risk and unidentified risk. This is the total risk passed on to the user. End of figure 9-1 text. Principles of risk management. Accept no unnecessary risk. Unnecessary risk is that which carries no commensurate returns in terms of benefits or opportunities. Everything involves risk. The most logical choices for accomplishing an operation are those that meet all requirements with a minimum acceptable risk. The corollary to this axiom is accept necessary risk required to complete the operation or task successfully. Flying is impossible without risk, but unnecessary risk comes without a corresponding return. If flying a new airplane for the first time, a CFI might determine that the risk of making the flight in low instrument flight rules, IFR, conditions is unnecessary. Make risk decisions at the appropriate level. Anyone can make a risk decision. However, the appropriate decision maker is the person who can develop and implement risk controls. The decision maker must be authorized to accept levels of risk typical of the planned operation. In a single pilot situation, the pilot makes the decision to accept certain levels of risk. In the maintenance facility, an aviation maintenance technician, AMT, may need to elevate decisions to the next level in the chain of management upon determining that those controls available to him or her will not reduce residual risk to an acceptable level. Accept risk when benefits outweigh the costs. All identified benefits should be compared against all identified costs. Even high-risk endeavors may be undertaken when there is clear knowledge that the sum of the benefits exceeds the sum of the costs. For example, in any flying activity, it is necessary to accept some degree of risk. A day of good weather, for example, is a much better time to fly an unfamiliar airplane for the first time than a day with low instrument flight rules, IFR conditions. Integrate risk management into planning at all levels. Risks are more easily assessed and managed in the planning stages of an operation. The later changes are made in the process of planning and executing an operation, the more expensive and time-consuming they become. Because risk is an unavoidable part of every flight, safety requires the use of appropriate and effective risk management, not just in the pre-flight planning stage, but in all stages of the flight. Risk Management Process Risk management is a simple process which identifies operational hazards and takes reasonable measures to reduce risk to personnel, equipment, and the mission. Step 1. Identify the hazard. A hazard is defined as any real or potential condition that can cause degradation, injury, illness, death, or damage to, or loss of equipment or property. Experience, common sense, and specific analytical tools help identify risks. Step 2. 
assess the risk. The assessment step is the application of quantitative and qualitative measures to determine the level of risk associated with specific hazards. This process defines the probability and severity of an accident that could result from the hazards based upon the exposure of humans or assets to the hazards. Step 3. Analyze risk control measures. Investigate specific strategies and tools that reduce, mitigate, or eliminate the risk. All risks have two components. 1. Probability of occurrence. 2. Severity of the hazard. Effective control measures reduce or eliminate at least one of these. The analysis must take into account the overall costs and benefits of remedial actions, providing alternative choices if possible. Step 4. Make control decisions. Identify the appropriate decision maker. That decision maker must choose the best control or combination of controls based on the analysis of steps 1 and 2. Step 5. Implement risk controls. A plan for applying the selected controls must be formulated. The time, materials, and personnel needed to put these measures in place must be provided. Step 6. Supervise and review. Once controls are in place, the process must be re-evaluated periodically to ensure their effectiveness. People at every level must fulfill their respective roles to assure the controls are maintained over time. The risk management process continues throughout the life cycle of the system, mission, or activity. Implementing the risk management process. To derive maximum benefit from this powerful tool, it must be used properly. The following principles are essential. Apply the steps in sequence. Each step is a building block for the next and must be completed before proceeding to the next. If a hazard identification step is interrupted to focus on the control of a particular hazard, more important hazards may be overlooked. Until all hazards are identified, the remainder of the process is not effective. Maintain a balance in the process. All steps are important. Allocate the time and resources to perform all. Apply the process in a cycle. The supervise and review step should include a brand new look at the operation being analyzed to see whether new hazards can be identified. Involve people in the process. Ensure that risk controls are mission supportive and the people who must do the work see them as positive actions. The people who are actually exposed to risks usually know best what works and what does not. Level of risk. The level of risk posed by a given hazard is measured in terms of severity, extent of the possible loss, probability, likelihood that a hazard will cause a loss. Assessing risk. Assessment of risk is an important part of good risk management. For example, the hazard of a nick in the propeller poses a risk only if the airplane is flown. If the damaged prop is exposed to the constant vibration of normal engine operation, there is a high risk that it could fracture and cause catastrophic damage to the engine and or airframe and the passengers. Every flight has hazards and some level of risks associated with it. It is critical that pilots, and especially students, are able to differentiate in advance between a low-risk flight and a high-risk flight and then establish a review process and develop risk mitigation strategies to address flights throughout that range. 
For the single pilot, assessing risk is not as simple as it sounds. For example, the pilot acts as his or her own quality control in making decisions. If a fatigued pilot who has flown 16 hours is asked if he or she is too tired to continue flying, the answer may be no. Most pilots are goal-oriented, and when asked to accept a flight, there is a tendency to deny personal limitations while adding weight to issues not germane to the mission. For example, pilots of Helicopter Emergency Services, EMS, have been known to make flight decisions that add significant weight to the patient's welfare. These pilots add weight to intangible factors, the patient in this case, and fail to appropriately quantify actual hazards such as fatigue or weather when making flight decisions. The single pilot, who has no other crew member for consultation, must wrestle with the intangible factors that draw one into a hazardous position. Therefore, he or she has greater vulnerability than a full crew. Examining National Transportation Safety Board NTSB, reports and other accident research can help a pilot learn to assess risk more effectively. For example, the accident rate during night VFR decreases by nearly 50% once a pilot obtains 100 hours and continues to decrease until the 1,000-hour level. The data suggest that for the first 500 hours, pilots flying VFR at night might want to establish higher personal limitations than are required by the regulations and, if applicable, apply instrument flying skills to this environment. Several risk assessment models are available to assist in the process of assessing risk. The models, all taking slightly different approaches, seek a common goal of assessing risk in an objective manner. The most basic tool is the risk matrix, figure 9-2. It assesses two items, the likelihood of an event occurring and the consequences of that event. Likelihood of an event. Likelihood is nothing more than taking a situation and determining the probability of its occurrence. It is rated as probable, occasional, remote, or improbable. For example, a pilot is flying from point A to point B, 50 miles, in marginal visual flight rules, MVFR, conditions. The likelihood of encountering potential instrument meteorological conditions, IMC, is the first question the pilot needs to answer. The experiences of other pilots, coupled with the forecast, might cause the pilot to assign occasional to determine the probability of encountering IMC. The following are guidelines for making assignments. Probable. An event will occur several times. Occasional. An event will probably occur sometime. Remote. An event is unlikely to occur, but is possible. Improbable. An event is highly unlikely to occur. Severity of an event. The next element is the severity or consequences of a pilot's actions. It can relate to injury and or damage. If the individual in the example above is not an instrument flight rules, IFR pilot, what are the consequences of encountering inadvertent IMC? In this case, because the pilot is not IFR rated, the consequences are catastrophic. The following are guidelines for this assignment. Catastrophic. 
results in fatalities, total loss. Critical, severe injury, major damage. Marginal, minor injury, minor damage. Negligible, less than minor injury, less than minor system damage. Simply connecting the two factors as shown in figure 9-2 indicates the risk is high and the pilot must either not fly or fly only after finding ways to mitigate, eliminate, or control the risk. Mitigating risk. Risk assessment is only part of the equation. After determining the level of risk, the pilot needs to mitigate the risk. For example, the pilot flying from point A to point B, 50 miles, in MVFR conditions has several ways to reduce risk. Wait for the weather to improve to good visual flight rules, VFR conditions. Take a pilot who is rated as an IFR pilot. Delay the flight. Cancel the flight. Drive. I'm safe. I am SAFE checklist. One of the best ways that single pilots can mitigate risk is to use the I'm Safe checklist, figure 9-3, to determine physical and mental readiness for flying. 1. Illness. Am I sick? Illness is an obvious pilot risk. 2. Medication. Am I taking any medicines that might affect my judgment or make me drowsy? 3. Stress. Am I under psychological pressure from the job? Do I have money, health, or family problems? Stress causes concentration and performance problems. While the regulations list medical conditions that require grounding, stress is not among them. The pilot should consider the effects of stress on performance. 4. Alcohol. Have I been drinking within 8 hours? Within 24 hours. As little as 1 ounce of liquor, 1 bottle of beer, or 4 ounces of wine can impair flying skills. Alcohol also renders a pilot more susceptible to disorientation and hypoxia. 5. Fatigue. Am I tired and not adequately rested? Fatigue continues to be one of the most insidious hazards to flight safety, as it may not be apparent to a pilot until serious errors are made. 6. Eating. Have I eaten enough of the proper foods to keep adequately nourished during the entire flight? the PAVE PAVE checklist. Another way to mitigate risk is to perceive hazards. By incorporating the PAVE checklist into all stages of flight planning, the pilot divides the risks of flight into four categories. P. Pilot in Command PIC A. Aircraft V. Environment and E. External pressures, PAVE, which form part of the pilot's decision-making process. With the PAVE checklist, pilots have a simple way to remember each category to examine for risk prior to each flight. Once a pilot identifies the risk of a flight, he or she needs to decide whether the risk or combination of risks can be managed safely and successfully. If not, make the decision to cancel the flight. If the pilot decides to continue with the flight, he or she should develop strategies to mitigate the risks. One way a pilot can control the risks is to set personal minimums for items in each risk category. 
These are limits unique to that individual pilot's current level of experience and proficiency. For example, the aircraft may have a maximum crosswind component of 15 knots listed in the Aircraft Flight Manual, AFM, and the pilot has experience with 10 knots of direct crosswind. It could be unsafe to exceed 10 knots crosswind component without additional training. Therefore, the 10 knots crosswind experience level is that pilot's personal limitation until additional training with a certificated flight instructor, CFI, provides the pilot with additional experience for flying in crosswinds that exceed 10 knots. One of the most important concepts that safe pilots understand is the difference between what is legal in terms of the regulations and what is smart or safe in terms of pilot experience and proficiency. P equals pilot in command, PIC. The pilot is one of the risk factors in a flight. The pilot must ask, am I ready for this trip? In terms of experience, currency, physical and emotional conditions, the I'm safe checklist combined with proficiency, recency, and currency provides the answers. A equals aircraft. What limitations will an aircraft impose upon the trip? Ask the following questions. Is this the right aircraft for the flight? Am I familiar with and current in this aircraft? Aircraft performance figures and the AFM are based on a brand new aircraft flown by a professional test pilot. Keep that in mind while assessing personal and aircraft performance. Is this aircraft equipped for the flight? Instruments, lights, navigation and communication equipment adequate? Can this aircraft use the runways available for the trip with an adequate margin of safety under the conditions to be flown? Can this aircraft carry the planned load? Can this aircraft operate at the altitudes needed for the trip? Does this aircraft have sufficient fuel capacity with reserves for trip legs planned? Does the fuel quantity delivered match the fuel quantity ordered? V equals environment. Weather is a major environmental consideration. Earlier, it was suggested pilots set their own personal minimums, especially when it comes to weather. As pilots evaluate the weather for a particular flight, they should consider the following. What are the current ceiling and visibility? In mountainous terrain, consider having higher minimums for ceiling and visibility, particularly if the terrain is unfamiliar. Consider the possibility that the weather may be different than forecast. Have alternative plans and be ready and willing to divert should an unexpected change occur. Consider the winds at the airports being used and the strength of the crosswind component. If flying in mountainous terrain, consider whether there are strong winds aloft. Strong winds in mountainous terrain can cause severe turbulence and downdrafts and can be very hazardous for aircraft even when there is no other significant weather. Are there any thunderstorms present or forecast? If there are clouds, is there any icing, current, or forecast? What is the temperature dew point spread and the current temperature and altitude? Can descent be made safely all along the route? If icing conditions are encountered, is the pilot experienced at operating the aircraft's de-icing or anti-icing equipment? Is this equipment in good condition and functional? For what icing conditions is the aircraft rated, if any? 
Evaluation of terrain is another important component of analyzing the flight environment. To avoid terrain and obstacles, especially at night or in low visibility, determine safe altitudes in advance by using altitudes shown on VFR and IFR charts during pre-flight planning. Use maximum elevation figures, MEFs, and other easily obtainable data to minimize chances of an in-flight collision with terrain or obstacles. Airport considerations include what lights are available at the destination and alternate airports. VASI slash PAPI or ILS glide slope guidance? Is the terminal airport equipped with them? Are they working? Will the pilot need to use the radio to activate the airport lights? Check the notices to airmen, NOTAMs, NOTAMs, for closed runways or airports. Look for runway or beacon lights out, nearby towers, etc. Choose the flight route wisely. An engine failure gives the nearby airports and terrain supreme importance. Are there shorter or obstructed fields at the destination and or alternate airports? Airspace considerations include if the trip is over remote areas, are appropriate clothing, water, and survival gear on board in the event of a forced landing? If the trip includes flying over water or unpopulated areas with a chance of losing visual reference to the horizon, the pilot must be current, equipped, and qualified to fly IFR. Check the airspace and temporary flight restrictions, TFRs, along the route of flight. Night flying requires a special consideration. If the trip includes flying at night over water or unpopulated areas with a chance of losing visual reference to the horizon, the pilot must be prepared to fly IFR. Will the flight conditions allow a safe emergency landing at night? Pre-flight, all aircraft lights interior and exterior for night flight. Carry at least two flashlights one for exterior pre-flight and a smaller one that can be dimmed and kept nearby. E equals external pressures. External pressures are influences external to the flight that create a sense of pressure to complete a flight, often at the expense of safety. Factors that can be external pressures include the following. Someone waiting at the airport for the flight's arrival, a passenger the pilot does not want to disappoint, the desire to demonstrate pilot qualifications, the desire to impress someone. Probably the two most dangerous words in aviation are, watch this. The desire to satisfy a specific personal goal. Get home itis, get there itis, and let's go itis. The pilot's general goal completion orientation. Emotional pressure associated with acknowledging that skill and experience levels may be lower than a pilot would like them to be. Pride can be a powerful external factor. Management of external pressure is the single most important key to risk management because it is the one risk factor category that can cause a pilot to ignore all the other risk factors. External pressures put time-related pressure on the pilot and figure into a majority of accidents. The use of Personal Standard Operating Procedures, SOPs, is one way to manage external pressures. The goal is to supply a release for the external pressures of a flight. These procedures include, but are not limited to, 
allow time on a trip for an extra fuel stop or to make an unexpected landing because of weather. Have alternate plans for a late arrival or make backup airline reservations for must-be-there trips. For really important trips, plan to leave early enough so that there would still be time to drive to the destination. Advise those who are waiting at the destination that the arrival may be delayed. Know how to notify them when delays are encountered. Manage passenger expectations. Make sure passengers know that they might not arrive on a firm schedule, and if they must arrive at a certain time, they should make alternative plans. Eliminate pressure to return home, even on a casual day flight, by carrying a small overnight kit containing prescriptions, contact lens solutions, toiletries, or other necessities on every flight. The key to managing external pressure is to be ready for and accept delays. Remember that people get delayed when traveling on airlines, driving a car, or taking a bus. The pilot's goal is to manage risk, not create hazards. During each flight, decisions must be made regarding events involving interactions between the four risk elements. PIC, aircraft, environment, and external pressures. The decision-making process involves an evaluation of each of these risk elements to achieve an accurate perception of the flight situation. Figure 9-4. 3P model for pilots. Risk management is a decision-making process designed to perceive hazards systematically, assess the degree of risk associated with the hazard, and determine the best course of action. See Appendix F. For example, the Perceive, Process, Perform 3P model for aeronautical decision-making, ADM, offers a simple, practical, and structured way for pilots to manage risk. Figure 9-5. To use the 3P model, the pilot perceives a given set of circumstances for a flight, processes by evaluating the impact of those circumstances on flight safety, performs by implementing the best course of action. In the first step, the goal is to develop situational awareness by perceiving hazards, which are present events, objects, or circumstances that could contribute to an undesired future event. In this step, the pilot systematically identifies and lists hazards associated with all aspects of the flight, pilot, aircraft, environment, and external pressures. It is important to consider how individual hazards might combine. Consider, for example, the hazard that arises when a new instrument pilot with no experience in actual instrument conditions wants to make a cross-country flight to an airport with low ceilings in order to attend an important business meeting. In the second step, the goal is to process this information to determine whether the identified hazards constitute risk, which is defined as the future impact of a hazard that is not controlled or eliminated. The degree of risk posed by a given hazard can be measured in terms of exposure, number of people or resources affected, severity, extent of possible loss, and probability, the likelihood that a hazard will cause a loss. If the hazard is low ceilings, for example, the level of risk depends on a number of other factors, such as pilot training and experience, aircraft equipment, and fuel capacity. In the third step, the goal is to perform by taking action to eliminate hazards or mitigate risk 
and then continuously evaluate the outcome of this action. With the example of low ceilings at destination, for instance, the pilot can perform good ADM by selecting a suitable alternate, knowing where to find good weather and carrying sufficient fuel to reach it. This course of action would mitigate the risk. The pilot also has the option to eliminate it entirely by waiting for better weather. Once the pilot has completed the 3P decision process and selected a course of action, the process begins again because the set of circumstances brought about by the course of action requires analysis. The decision-making process is a continuous loop of perceiving, processing, and performing. It is never too early to start teaching students about risk management. Using the 3P model gives CFIs a tool to teach them a structured, efficient, and systematic way to identify hazards, assess risk, and implement effective risk controls. Practicing risk management needs to be as automatic in general aviation, GA, flying, as basic aircraft control. Consider making the 3P discussion a standard feature of the pre-flight discussion. As is true for other flying skills, risk management habits are best developed through repetition and consistent adherence to specific procedures. Hazard list for aviation technicians. AMTs should learn about risk management early in training also. Instructors tasked with integrating risk management into instruction can turn to hazard assessments that identify the safety risks associated with the facility being used, the tools used in the procedure, and or the job being performed. The process for identifying hazards can be accomplished through the use of checklists, lessons learned, compliance inspections slash audits, accidents slash near misses, regulatory developments, and brainstorming sessions. For example, aviation accident reports from the National Transportation Safety Board, NTSB, can be used to generate discussions pertaining to faulty maintenance that led to aircraft accidents. All available sources should be used for identifying, characterizing, and controlling safety risks. The 3P model can also be adapted for use in a non-flight environment, such as a maintenance facility. For example, the AMT perceives a hazard, processes its impact on shop or personnel safety, and then performs by implementing the best course of action to mitigate the perceived risk. Pilot self-assessment. Setting personal minimums is an important step in mitigating risk and safe pilots know how to properly self-assess. For example, in the opening scenario, the aircraft Mary plans to fly may have a maximum crosswind component of 15 knots listed in the aircraft flight manual, AFM, but she only has experience with 10 knots of direct crosswind. It could be unsafe to exceed a 10-knot crosswind component without additional training. Therefore, the 10-knot crosswind experience level is Mary's personal limitation until additional training with Daniel provides her with the additional experience for flying in crosswinds that exceed 10 knots. Pilots in training must be taught that exercising good judgment begins prior to taking the controls of an aircraft. Often, pilots thoroughly check their aircraft to determine airworthiness, yet do not evaluate their own fitness for flight. Just as a checklist is used when pre-flighting an aircraft, a personal checklist based on such factors as experience, 
currency, and comfort level can help determine if a pilot is prepared for a particular flight. The FAA's Personal Minimums Checklist, located in Appendix D, is an excellent tool for pilots to use in self-assessment. This checklist reflects the PAVE PAVE approach to risk mitigation discussed in the previous paragraphs. Worksheets for a more in-depth risk assessment are located in the FAA-Industry Training Standards Personal and Weather Risk Assessment Guide, located online at www.faa.gov. This guide is designed to assist pilots in developing personal standardized procedures for accomplishing PIC responsibilities and in making better pre-flight and in-flight weather decisions. CFIs should stress that frequent review of the personal guide keeps the information fresh and increases a pilot's ability to recognize the conditions in which a new risk assessment should be made, a key element in the decision-making process. End of Part 1 of Chapter 9